Hello, and welcome back to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I'm Maggie Elmer, and today, Matt, Tony, and I are speaking with David Watson. That's right, David F. Watson, Academic Dean of United Theological Seminary, lead editor of Firebrand Magazine, and just one of our favorite people here at Spirit and Truth. David has been a longtime supporter of this ministry, and we are so thrilled because he is going to be a speaker at the Spirit and Truth Conference here in Dayton, Ohio, March 9th through 11th. I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation. You just get such a strong sense of David's heart and his sense of mission to the church and the academy. David, thank you so much for being with us today on the Spirit and Truth podcast. Happy to. Thanks for inviting me. What makes that so great is that it was the third time that we had to record that intro. I'm just really thankful that Mm -hmm. you guys didn't get to hear the first two iterations of that. But what a joy to be here with you today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So. uh, Go ahead. This is real awkward. It, it all of a sudden we these are people who talk to each other pretty much all the time and it did all of a sudden get really awkward. <laughs> but that's okay. We're good. Um for those of you listening, you are not confused. You do normally hear David Watson and I on a podcast together called the Plain Truth Holy Spirited podcast. That's right. That does happen. That does happen. <laughs> Every two weeks. <laughs> but wait, could we just, can we share that? Yeah, it's okay with me. David? So the Plain Truth Podcast is becoming the Firebrand Podcast. What? And it will still bring you the same fantastic, well-organized content it always has. <laughs> um, that is usually how people describe us. But so we, well organized. We will. Lots of pre-planning. Mm. We actually did sit down with Scott and pre-plan the other day, didn't we? We did, all the way out until April. And we will be interviewing uh, some members of the Firebrand editorial board mm-hmm. uh, coming up. And we will also um, be doing some uh, something that I'm tentatively calling Firebrand Voices, which is we'll take some of the articles from Firebrand and be just recording them and posting them on the podcast. So um, this is a good thing. I think it's helpful for us to to, uh, consolidate some of our projects under the Firebrand banner, and this is going to be one of them. Amen. And I think one of the interesting things about the the relationship that you have with Spirit and Truth— is that you're you're one of the original spirit and truth catalysts, right? You're, you're part of the reason why we're here. You're part of that that napkin idea vision course. But uh, the same thing is true with Firebrand. Is that this is kind of born out of your heart? I imagine that there are some people listening who aren't familiar with Firebrand as a resource. I'm wondering if you could give them the thirty thousand overview of what um, what you hope God does through that platform. Well, when Matt and I first, when Matt first um pitched the idea for spirit and truth to me it was at a little mexican restaurant <laughs> in trotwood ohio mm. and i love uh, that place it's now called el gabon mm-hmm. but um at the time i think it was taqueria mixteca yeah and we ex- extraneous details you listeners don't care about sorry about that <laughs> but one of the um ideas that matt had was um equipping believers in, in the life of the mind, right? It's not, I mean, you can teach people important skills about spiritual disciplines and prayer and things like this, but I think we're in agreement that the renewal of Christianity in the West is also going to be a theological renewal. Yeah. And that's what we want Firebrand to contribute to. And so... Um, there are some really good intellectual resources out there. For example, we were just talking about First Things magazine, and and I think some of the stuff they publish in First Things is is fantastic. You know, some of it is is um, it varies in quality. You know, but I think a lot of it is really good. And uh, and there were you know, for example, Touchstone magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really hard to kind of get. Um, out into the public sphere, kind of high, mid to high level conversation about Wesleyan thinking. Hmm. 
especially from a more conservative or orthodox perspective. And so um, we started Firebrand to do that. And the way that started was I started creating a website, and then I showed it to Matt. And Matt's like, why don't you let me give the website a shot? (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, that's just not my skill set. For the record, we've all had that experience with Matt. (laughs) (laughs) And so... um, you know, we launched it, and it was. It started out as a COVID project, so launched mm-hmm. it in June of 2020, and we've almost passed now one million hits on the website. Wow! So, it's had good success. We have a, a fantastic lead team consisting of Maggie Ulmer, uh, Sue Nicholson from Asbury University, and Ryan Danker from the John Wesley Institute, and Matt and me. And then we have a really, really strong editorial board, and they provide some great content. We also get content from other people um, around the Wesleyan Connection who just want to submit ideas. And then every year we have the Charles Wesley Poetry Contest, which <laughs> is Maggie's total favorite thing. You know. And uh, <laughs> I love it. I love the Charles Wesley Poetry Contest. I, I mean, I heard you were going to submit a poem next year. Maybe I will. Haiku. Maybe. Actually, he's going to do a haiku, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it'll be a haiku. Yeah. <laughs> For us, there's only other, no other options, really. Yeah. You know, actually, um, we were. I, I was actually just recently at the church of someone. I didn't get a chance to say hello or to congratulate him, but we were just at the church. Uh, a church. I was just at a church in Marysville, Ohio, and the pastor of that church was one of the people who had their poems published. Oh yeah. Yeah, his name was, was Na- Nathan. Nathan Custer. Yeah, yeah. I know Nathan. Yeah. Yeah. Great so guy. I didn't get a chance to say congratulations to him, but I mean, you know, it's a it's formatting. It comes at a busy time, and sometimes I have this feeling like, why did I ever suggest that idea? But no, mostly I'm glad we do it. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, David, I'm I'm super excited that you're on the podcast today. And before we leave that sort of uh, Mexican table conversation, yeah. I want to just say a couple of things real quick, and then I think it will lead into our first topic. Um, one, I want to say thank you uh, because for folks that are listening to the Spirit and Truth podcast, uh, I just don't I'm not <laughs> confident that Spirit and Truth would exist without David Watson's influence and support. And so I just want to thank you publicly for that because. When that idea, when it just felt like God prompting me on that idea, uh, you were one of the very first people that I shared that with, and I was really nervous about it. We didn't know each other as well back then, and I thought, man, Dr. Watson's real smart, and I just thought of this this morning, so that's probably not a good idea. (laughs) And yet, um, just I felt like our hearts were connected on that, and you just offered immediately to, to support that endeavor in any way, and and then shared your own heart. And in fact, uh, the name Spirit and Truth was your idea. Uh, that was the name that you offered up. And um, and the academic uh, kind of magazine, Firebrand, was your uh, idea as well in that initial conversation about ways that we could get at some of that uh, project that you were mentioning. So I'm just very grateful for that. I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of it. And God's really blessed Spirit and Truth. And, and I'm excited to see what God's going to do in the future with Spirit and Truth, too. Amen. Well, you are you also serve on the board of Spirit and Truth, uh, and we're grateful for that. And uh, you're going to be one of the speakers at our upcoming conference. And so folks that are listening to this uh, conversation, make sure, if you haven't already, register for the Spirit and Truth Conference March 9th to the 11th. It's going to be at Stillwater Church in Dayton, Ohio. And it happens to be the home church of Dr. Watson and a couple of us. And... Um, we're really excited to have you as one of our speakers this year, and thank you. I'm I'm honored to be invited to speak. Uh, I wondered if you know, just speaking of the church world, and you know, this podcast, we we um, mo- most of our listeners are either pastors or really committed uh, lay folks in the church who really, you know, longing to see renewal in their church, wanting to really see the spirit moving in their local church, and the kind of training and equipping that we do, you know really focuses on evangelism and discipleship and life in the Spirit. And one of the things I've always appreciated about you, I think one of the things that just attracted me to you in the very beginning, was the way in which um, you, just an interesting mix, because you're serious academic, (laughs) you know, uh, highly trained, writing at a high academic level, and at the same time, completely open to the supernatural and 
sort of drawn to the charismatic world and really even an advocate for, um, you know, really a view of God and a life in Christ that encourages people to participate with a supernatural God. And so I wondered if we could just start with you just sharing a little bit about your own journey. How did you get to that place in this cool combination of the life of the mind and life in the spirit? Yeah, um, that's a little bit of a long story. I'll try to keep it short. Um, for me, the the charismatic piece is really just a way of talking about special divine action, hmm. right? Like, we believe that God is present and manifest in sort of the natural processes of the universe and stuff like that, but sometimes God gives... Um, particular gifts and very personal kinds of gifts and interacts with us in very personal kinds of ways. So, for example, like in gifts of healing, um, in words of knowledge, in um, uh, uh, speaking in other tongues, and these kinds of things. And these all have a purpose in the life of the church, which is to build up the church, right? to build up the body of Christ. Um, if you read through the Bible, the God of the Bible is a God of agency, right? God is not, this God is not an absentee landlord. This God isn't just um, uh, the, you know, doesn't just wind up the watch and let it go. Um, this is a God who is intimately involved in the lives of people, so intimately involved, in fact, that he became one of us and even died sacrificially for us and after three days rose from the dead, and he's going to come again. And this is kind of Christianity 101, but the problem is that a lot of people have stopped believing in Christianity 101. Um, the f first person I ever heard talk about this in a very strong way was Billy Abraham. He was my evangelism professor many, many years ago at Perkins School of Theology, and um, he showed us a video of John Wimber um, talking about how he got into healing ministry and these kinds of things. And I had no context for this, really. I knew my, my Uncle Otis believed in such things, and um, he had been part of a charismatic Episcopalian com congregation. Um, but I didn't really—that that had not been part of my ecclesial experience, right? That had not been— But I—so I, in theory, I believed in divine agency— you know, and I could say the creed without crossing my fingers behind my back, and if you can do that, then you believe in divine agency, right? But then when I got to United, um, God really began to do some interesting things, and three things happened at once um, in very close proximity to each other. One is that I went to Cuba for the first time and really um, became— just fell in love with the revival that's happening there. The second was Pete Bellini introduced us to Aldersgate Renewal Ministries, uh, which is a charismatic renewal movement uh, within the United Methodist Church. And um, now I think it's it's um, understanding itself more broadly than than United Methodism. And the um, the third thing was we got involved with Global Awakening, um, which is Randy Clark's outfit out of. Um, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And those th three things hit me. I mean, God must know that I'm just kind of dense on these matters. <laughs> and um, so so those three things all together, it just changed the way that I thought about divine action. It's one thing to know something in theory, but it's another thing to experience, to know it experientially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And both of these things are important, right? You can't have the theory without the experience, but although that is a lot of, you know, sometimes theologians get so eggheady that, you know, we, um, we emphasize the knowledge with, but not necessarily the experience. And on the other hand, you have, I was, I just spent all Saturday trying to figure out Schleimacher, you know, and Schleimacher is all experience, everything's experience um, with him, and, and that's not right either, you know, uh, and I think that led him into some unfortunate directions. So I think you have to bring together um, theology with a kind of experiential knowledge of the work of God, bringing these two things together is a powerful combination. 
There are some scholars out there like uh, Dale Coulter, who's a Pentecostal, Cheryl Bridges Johns, who's on our faculty at United, who's a Pentecostal. Um, Pete Bellini is an, you know, no, no stranger to anyone here um, who are working very hard to kind of bring these things together, to kind of um, bridge the gap that exists between the heart and the head, and I think um, are doing very important work. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about you, David, is that you not only do you, you know, study and practice kind of the things that you're talking about, but you also bring others into it. You're the dean of, um, of a seminary and you're very active in uh, the Global Methodist Church and what God is doing there. As you practice leadership, how do you live in the tension of the head and the heart? Yeah, that's... Um that's hard to do sometimes, especially because I live in the academic world, which is very heady, you know, and, or at least I spend a lot of my time in the academic world, a lot of time in books, a lot of times in meetings, <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, and it is a very heady world, but I think that you have to stay in, I think the most important thing is um, to keep yourself within spaces of public worship communal worship and so a normal week at united i'll go to chapel i go to church every week um i really don't ever like to miss church if i'm out of town you know i have to but even if i'm out of town sometimes i'll try to find a church and and go to church there and i think just the regular rhythms of worship uh week after week at at an absolute minimum once a week but i i do try to worship more than that every week is really important. Um, and also um, just praying every day and reading scripture every day. Um, and not and, and reading prayerfully, like Wesley talked about, searching the scriptures prayerfully so that you're asking God uh, to teach you as you work your way through this inspired text. You're, you're reading the inspired text, but you're also praying for illumination as you read. So that's, that's kind of how I, I try to balance those things out. So have you ever found yourself, I'm just curious, I mean, I've known you for several years now, and we've had a lot of conversations. So many, <laughs> yes. But I, I'm just curious, like, has what was it like for you in academia when this change started to happen? Like, how did it change your relationship to the, to how you approached your teaching? And, and um, yeah, or even just how you operated collegially in that environment? Well, the thing about charismatic expression in Christianity is that people usually have strong opinions about it one way or the other, right? <laughs> Amen. Either, this is true. They either really like it or they don't like it. Um, <laughs> and they're going to let you know about yeah, it. Oh, let yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I did hear about it some um, when my own faith began to kind of move in this direction. I did. Um, some people really liked that and encouraged me in it, and some people thought it was just weird and kind of theologically unsophisticated, which I, I think is just completely wrongheaded. But um, but it all, it did change my teaching too. It changed the way I would pray before class, and sometimes in my classes we'll pray for students, and sometimes we'll pray for healing and other such things, and. So, um, and, and I encourage professors to do that. Um, so it, yeah, I mean, and, and I'm not the only person at where I work at United who, um, who believes this way. A lot of people yeah. at United do, and it has in some ways, in my opinion, made a very positive impact on the seminary. And mm -hmm. again, you know, I know a lot of people think that all the charismatic stuff is weird or they think it's superstitious or, or naive or something like that. And I just want to say it, it's none of those things. It's just you just have a robust sense of divine agency. That's it. You have a strong sense of God's work in the world, God's desire to interact with us in very immediate and personal ways, which I think is highly consistent with the teaching of the Bible. It's, 
It certainly is consistent when you read the book of Acts. Yeah. I mean, every paragraph's got some kind of divine agency in it, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. The whole thing. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Not the Acts of the Apostles, because the Apostles are are just doing what the Spirit directs them yeah. to do, really. You know, Peter has a dream. Peter doesn't just look up Cornelius in the phone book, you know, and <laughs> he, he has a dream that he's supposed to go to him, and Cornelius has a dream about the same thing. And I, Yeah, and you even see it just, it's uh, embedded so subtly sometimes you miss the gravity of it, but it'll just be a phrase like, and the Holy Spirit prevented them from going so-and-so or yeah. compelled them to go here. Well, what does that mean? That somehow those followers of Jesus are hearing God's specific direction in a tangible enough way that it changes their travel plans and it's attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Mm-hmm. Well, that if that's not divine agency, I don't know what it is, right? right? He's interacting with them in such a way that it changes how they're functioning that day. Yeah, it's a strong sense of divine agency and I don't know how you can read the New Testament or the Old Testament for that matter and come away with any idea different than that about God. I mean, the fact that we can't predict divine agency, um, I guess, makes some people wary of it, right? Like, well, why why did God heal this person, but not this person? Why did God give this person a gift, but not this person a gift? And I always tell people, look, I don't understand how any of this stuff works. (laughs) You know, I'm not God, and I don't have the mind of God. I don't have the judgment or the discernment of God. I just know what Scripture teaches, and I know what's happened in my own experience. I know the kinds of things I've seen in my life that I can't unsee. And so, you know, when you pray over someone who who gets his sight back or someone who has pain go away or something like that, I mean, that makes an impression on you. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I don't understand all these things. I don't always understand God's God's reasons or judgment about things, but I do believe that God is a living and an active God. Um, and I know that there are people who reject that. There are, you know, Christians who reject that. There are, you know, cessationists who believe that miracles and prophecy and those kinds of gifts aren't really for healings and prophecy, for example, aren't for today, that they ended at the time of the last apostle or the closing of the canon or something like that. And I just just don't think that's true you know with respect to such people i don't want to beat up on them or anything but i just think they're wrong well i'm always puzzled by the the folks that say that because um they say like uh, all you need is the scripture except that exact belief is not in the scripture (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah that's right but yeah, the Bible gives us something that's perfect, they believe. And so once we have the Bible, then we don't need the rest of the gifts. But why would God do that? Why would yeah. God give us less of himself after the closing of the canon? And if that's the case, then why doesn't the Bible say that that's what <laughs> yeah, right. the Bible is going to do? Thanks, I'm all done now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You're asking for self-referential coherence, Matt, and that's asking a lot in a lot of places. Mm. Well, one of my favorite things about um, being on Plain Truth, Now the Firebrand podcast to be, uh, yeah. That's going to be awesome, by the way. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm pretty pumped about this. (laughs) Got to find some new theme music, though, don't I? Yes. We were talking about that earlier. We were talking about that earlier. Something with fire in it. Something that's like doesn't sound like the Muppets. The Muppets. I mean, yeah. Okay. Use that one for five and a half years. I know. It's been a good run. It has. Also, we should probably stop using me as fodder for the cold open. We'll see. No promises. No promises. One day at a time. Okay. But one of the things I love about being on the podcast is. No matter what the topic is for the day, we almost always come back around to a a few things. One is something sort of, you know, philosophically oriented or, and of course I love that because I love that stuff, but I'm just, I'm just wondering what is it about that kind of, what is it about that worldview that, or that perspective, that way of examining things that is just so... It always takes our conversations to that place. 
Because a lot of what we talk about in our podcast is the way in which sort of the ambient culture Mm -hmm. in which we live um, malforms our intellects, right? We think about the world in the wrong way. And part of becoming a Christian is learning how to think about the world in the right way. But if, but, but if we want to identify the ways in which the world has formed us in the wrong way, we have to look at its presuppositions. And those presuppositions uh, haven't come out of thin air. They've come from the pens of certain very influential thinkers over the years, Enlightenment philosophers, for example, people like David Hume and, and Descartes mm-hmm. and Rousseau and others who have had massive influence upon the way in which we think in the West— and yet we, most of the time, don't even realize that. Yeah. These, these things have sort of, they're in the soup now. Yeah. Right? Like the whole, the whole notion that we have to keep certain ideas from being spoken aloud in the public square, um, which is very, you know, that's, 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 been of like I, I can't figure out why people are so upset that Elon Musk bought Twitter except for the fact that there are people that want to control speech now there are uh, look there are people on the right that want to control speech also but you know the philosophical roots of some of this are in um, the philosophy of Marcusa mm-hmm. who argued that there is a notion uh, argue for a notion he called repressive tolerance and that is the idea that people can really only be free when certain ideas are suppressed. Yeah. Which I think is just completely wrong-headed nonsense. But nevertheless, that idea of repressive tolerance does a lot of heavy lifting today, even though most people have no idea where it came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I. So that's why we talk about such yeah. things so much. And I, I'm, I'm always, I, l- I enjoy those conversations, and I, and I actually think they're very beneficial. <clears throat> because not so much because I think people need to know the names of philosophers or but I think that we do operate in a kind of sort of sleepy unconscious you know we we often lack a lot of self-awareness when when we're discussing well why am I thinking this way about something right and so um anyway that's something I always appreciate about our conversations even if it's a little sideways like we started out talking about what people were doing and traveling and got around to theology of the self in the last podcast yeah (laughs) but um but but all these conversations have to do with what do we presuppose to be true yeah what is real some people call them christian worldview you Mm -hmm. know i mean and sometimes i use that term i usually don't use that term though christian worldview i like to talk about thinking christianly Mm -hmm. um and that's one of the things i'm going to talk about at at, um, or I think I'm going to talk about at the Spirit and Truth Conference is this notion of how to think about the world in a Christian way um, and to question the presuppositions that we just took in with our mother's milk uh, because we happen to live in the United States at a, in a, at a particular time. Yeah. <laughs> David, one of the things that I think... Um, is kind of at the heartbeat of Spirit and Truth is, as we've been talking about, this combination of renewal in the practical living under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, which leads us into things like evangelism and discipleship, combined with kind of a renewal of the mind and like a sort of uh, re-anchoring of the Christian faith in the historic tradition and how the truth of the Christian faith has been passed down to us for generations, rooted in the Bible. What do you think it looks like practically? Like, just let's get practical at a local church level to see that kind of revival take place in the life of the church. Because I do sense this is part of what God is doing right now. He's not only leading us to a place of sort of supernatural renewal, but also theological renewal. Um, and how does that, how does that kind of, infiltrate into everyday life for the Christians in our churches? I think a lot of it has to do with, first first of all, with the, with the act of preaching or teaching. And a lot of what has been taught in seminaries 
about preaching has had to do with technique, mm. homiletical form, mm-hmm. these kinds of things. Yeah. And I think that homiletical, no, no, I mean, no disrespect to the whole field of homiletics. Which, just explain that term yeah. for our listeners if they don't know that word. Homiletics just means preaching. Yeah. Okay, and so homiletical is just a fancy word for having to do with preaching. What form does your sermon take? What what rhetorical devices are you using? Are you, you know, bookending a story at the beginning and the end and this kind yeah. of thing? And use are you using enough illustrations and that stuff? And the way in which we communicate is important, right? But more important, I think, than the form is the substance. And I think everyone listening might agree that, especially in the mainline, but also in evangelicalism, we've heard a lot of sermons over the years that just lack substance. Yeah. And I'm not saying I haven't heard great sermons over the years, too. (laughs) I have. You know, I have heard great sermons, and we have— Three great preachers at Stillwater Church where I attend, and but these are substantive sermons. I just Part for of the record, I am glad you were talking like in the past tense because I'm thinking, oh crap, he goes to my church right now. <laughs> 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 um, you know, and I, I'm not indicting any one preacher or anything like that, but but what I'm getting at is that the preacher himself or herself has to kind of um, has to be so deeply steeped preachers themselves have to have to marinate in the word of god and in the christian tradition this has to be in their bones you can't give people what you don't have mm. yeah and so you're speaking out of the overflow of wisdom that god gives you but you receive that wisdom because you've opened yourself up to it by uh, the means of grace. Yeah. So, so preachers need to consistently be reading the Bible, not just for professional reasons. Yeah. They need to. They need to um, be thinking alongside the great thinkers of Christian faith by reading their works and talking about them and uh, getting with other people and and living in these ideas. The content matters, um, and so you can. There are a lot of different ways to communicate, but but content matters, and so to the extent that our preachers, there's, I don't know if you listeners can hear this, but there a rogue printer. A printer oh, has just. They can hear it. Okay, <laughs> I've got headphones on. They can hear it. All right. <laughs> Guys, I pressed the wrong button. I'm yeah. really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a message from the Lord. Stop talking, Watson. Um, but I, I just think that it's so important that preachers themselves be people of theological depth and substance. Does yeah. that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that, in my opinion, is a crucial aspect of homiletics, of the field of homiletics. So I think that's one of the ways that gets operationalized in the life of the church through the teaching within the church. We Protestants, we love our preaching, Yeah. right? Like in in the Catholic tradition, the center of the worship service is the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And while at our church we have Eucharist every week and we love that, I think for almost all Protestants, uh, the center of worship is usually the preaching, the preached word. And, and given that understanding of what worship is about, preaching becomes all the more important. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I like, I like what's happening at Stillwater right now. I think Stillwater has been in a place of revival now for a while, renewal, I would mm-hmm. say, for a while. Um, and I think part of that happened when two pastors from Cuba first came and they began um, to preach about the work of the Holy Spirit. Guillermo the Almighty and Andrea Nunez-Ortiz began to, to preach about the work of Spirit, lay hands on people, pray for people, and guess what? People started getting healed, and lives started getting changed, you know, just in the short time they were there. And I think for at least some people in the church, they kind of said, oh, huh, 
You know, it's like the the title to Randy Clark's book, There Is More. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There there's more than I thought to all of this. There's a whole new dimension to this that I hadn't even realized was there. And so, um, having a church where that is a community of expectation where people are praying for one another, um, with the full expectation that God is going to move in power is a very important aspect of renewal in the life of a local congregation, in my humble opinion. Amen. So there's a, there's a lot of thought that we, I mean, just book after book, uh, book about how we program our way to renewal, you know, how we program our way. And program is good, right? I mean, in, to a certain extent, you could say Wesley was was doing some programming with the class meetings and band meetings and these kinds of things, but he was he was moving people towards practices like prayer and repentance that are prescribed in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, but renewal is really only going to happen when God moves with power. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not. We can't do. We can't do it. We cannot. It doesn't matter which young hipster leader you have in there it doesn't matter you know how, how many uh hillsong worship songs you play mm-hmm. or anything like that or if you do the whole ancient future thing or whatever you know technique is not going to bring renewal only god's going to bring renewal Amen. it's all about divine action and that's that's kind of what i spend my life trying to get people to see is that the christian the christian Faith is simply a response to a profound and deep sense of God's work in the world. Yeah, We're just trying to get on board with what God is already doing. I mean, God doesn't want America or Western Europe to fall into paganism. God doesn't want fewer people worshiping Jesus. God doesn't want people praying to pond scum or rocks or something like that. <laughs> you know, Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> God wants people to worship in spirit and in truth. He wants people to worship him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and so God is already doing that renewing work, even if we can't see it. We just have to get on board with what God is already doing. Amen. You know, I, I know that your heart for the local church is, is so great, and you're, you're actively serving in the formation of the new Global Methodist Church, when you pray for the movement of the church, when you pray for the the future of the Global Methodist Church, um, what do you pray for? Sanctification. I pray all the time, God, sanctify this new church. Mm. Make us holy. Mm. Don't let us do anything that's out of keeping with your will. That's, that's what I pray for, because without sanctification, we don't, we're not even in the game. We, if, if sanctification, if, if a church that embodies the holiness and power of God is not what we're after, then let's stop now. Um, I once heard Larry Randolph, who is a prophetic figure in the third wave charismatic movement, I think he's a Pentecostal, um, but he said, what we want in the West is we want uh, the power of God without the character of God. Mm-hmm. And I think, man, that is, I've seen that so many times. We yeah. want the power, we want the miracles, we want the influence, um, but we don't want the holiness. We don't want the character. We, we're not willing to um, be like Paul and say, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And so I pray for sanctification because I think everything else is going to flow out of that. Everything else is going to flow out of a church that embodies the character of God. Mm -hmm. So every night I pray for that. I pray for that for United, too. I pray sanctify United, and I pray uh, for spirit and truth. I pray sanctify spirit and truth and sanctify my home as well. Mm. These are my regular prayers. Well, now we know why. Work is the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> We're all being sanctified. Sanctification can be painful. Ow! Thanks a lot, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's working. <laughs> yeah. 
but but I I'm just so committed to that idea that um, the church has to be in a position of surrender yeah uh, and humility yeah. and repentance before God and just so often we're not so often churches are complacent or they're self-satisfied or or even arrogant and there are you know great churches out there that that are i think adopting a proper posture towards god but i think that needs to become more widespread before we begin to see um god really move before we see what god is already doing in our midst there's a a thing i've been thinking about lately that i heard I've been thinking a lot about what does it mean to be a friend of God's? And then it just so happened randomly. I was I was watching a sermon on YouTube and Francis Chan was preaching and he just said sort of tangentially in his sermon, um, those who are friends of God have the fear of God. And it really struck me. I mean, what is the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've been pondering a lot almost almost since I started working for Spirit and Truth since my family moved to Dayton. It's just having a posture of humility because, because when you sense that the Lord is moving, you also begin to just have a, a, a sense of not how fragile he is, but how quickly you can become out of step. Yeah. yeah. And so that's something I just... Yeah, I, I really like what you're saying because that's something I've been thinking about so much. Like, how do I just stay aware of what God is doing and just keep be, being in line with that? Yeah. I think fear of God, you know, people always say, well, that doesn't mean you actually fear God. That means that you, you know, reverence God. And, well, I think it kind of means also you sort of yeah. fear God. Because, he is God. You know, like, he is he's God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and also, you know, if you, li- if you read... Jesus' words and what he demands of people who follow him, it's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. The, I, the mm-hmm. very idea of it is kind of scary. You know, um, if anyone wants to be my follower, let them take up their cross and follow me. Those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their lives for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. Mm-hmm. Or he might say things like, Everyone will hate you because of me. <laughs> I'm sending you out like <laughs> sheep among wolves. Right. These kinds of things. The worst sales pitch of all time. And I, th- I and yet the movement grew exponentially in uh, the 400 years following Jesus' death. But Paul was the same way. You know, and if you read the accounts of Paul, what does... What Paul say to Ananias about, or what does God say to Ananias about Paul in Acts 9? God says, I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer yeah. for the gospel. Mm. And so um, the Christian life is is this sort of weird paradox of joy and suffering at the same yeah. time. And and it's it's like you, you get joy by entering into the midst of Life, you you understand the good life by entering into the midst of life suffering. Mm. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, you know the missional work um, that Spirit and Truth has done in Matari slum in Africa. I mean, that's a hard place to go. I I can't even imagine how hard it is to live there. You know um how hard the work of our friend Davies Masigo is you know when he's there or work in Central Havana uh where I I just got back from Central Havana but what you know the reason that we go to these places and invest in them is precisely because these are places of difficulty and heartbreak and and sorrow God is sending in us into those places and when you're obedient to God you find your true self in obedience to him and emptying of your own desires. Hmm. You know, David, you're kind of, uh, you're getting at the heart, I think, of one of my deep passions, and honestly, part of the reason that Spirit and Truth exists is really to, to sort of recast this vision of whole life sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
I don't think it's a coincidence that in this time where we're bemoaning the decline of the church in the West, it's also come out of an absence of preaching that kind of sacrificial gospel that you just described. Like when, when we built a church around meeting felt needs and wooing people with fun stuff rather than inviting them to pick up their cross. <laughs> it's no wonder that when something hard comes, like a pandemic, they all disappear. Right. And so I think a lot of the hard stuff that we're seeing in the church right now is a direct fruit of the kind of absence of costly discipleship that we have taught uh, for decades now. And um, Well, yeah, that's right. Um, and I don't want to give the idea that I'm talking about just a church of good deeds. You know, I went down to the homeless shelter this morning and volunteered, and now I feel really good about myself or that kind of thing. You know, it's not that. It's a whole life of pouring yourself out for the gospel and at the same time receiving the ways that God fills you up so that you can continue to pour yourself out for yeah. the gospel. I, I heard Nick Billman, our friend Nick Billman, talk about mm -hmm. this one time. You know, it, the Christian life is just pouring yourself out and God filling you back up, and you pour yourself out and God fills you back up. Amen. And uh, that is not, I mean, that's a hard thing to preach week after week <coughs> to people. And you know, it's like in, in the Gospel of John when Jesus preached about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and then, and then people said, wow, that's a hard teaching, and a lot of them left. Right. And then Jesus like, well, are you? You know, to, to Peter and the disciples, like, are you guys going too? And they're yeah. like, well, where can we go? Because you're the one who has the words of life. Yeah. David, don't you think, and this is, again, I'm just getting on my own little soapbox here, but don't you think we've, in the West, in our, in our local churches, we've short-circuited long-term fruit because of our unwillingness to be okay with people leaving? I mean, it's like we want to do things that keep the crowd in the short term, but what it means is that we don't long-term have actual disciples. And so, and crowds are fickle. Yeah. They come and go they with are. like right. whatever the latest leader is. Oh, I don't like what this person's doing. Then they just disappear. Right. And, um, you know, this is something I was just, uh, you know, I was just trying to, to speak to this in our own local church a couple of weeks ago. And it honestly was really hard for me to try to articulate that because um, it's a wonderful church with wonderful people. But I... I just, um, I think we have to get to a place in the church where we're okay if we're preaching the real gospel and we're calling people to costly discipleship just like Jesus. We're okay with people walking away because that's exactly what happened with Jesus. Well, I think that's true, but I think one of the hardest things to do in the life of the church, especially when there are things like institutions and money and facilities yeah. involved is to speak truthfully on a consistent basis. Yeah. yeah. Just to speak truthfully. It's hard. Um, and people aren't going to like it. Yeah. But we do have an obligation as Christian leaders to speak as truthfully as we can about things. Um, and, you know, I don't, I, I hate to write about politics, for example. But there have been a few times in my life where I thought, okay, I just, have to, I just have to say something here. I just have to say this. It's like when Jeremiah talks about fire shut up in his bones. You know, if I don't say this, my head's going to explode. And so, you know, you get it out there and you try to be sensitive uh, to other people. You don't need to be a jerk about it but you just try to be as truthful as you can be and also try to hear others when they're trying to be as truthful as they can be you know yeah. and to listen well in that regard but um, the temptation to capitulate to the demands of institution building is fantastically present among us <laughs> all the time and I you know I feel it uh, in the church, I feel it in the seminary. Uh, yeah. These are institutions that I love, um, and yet, yeah, we have to be truthful and pray that God blesses that. And I think God does bless it, but yeah. sometimes um, that blessing comes with a lot of hard pushback. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, 
I just want to thank you for for modeling what that looks like because uh, you've done that for a lot of us mm -hmm. and you're thank someone you. that um, I think you just continue to model what it looks like to count the cost to be steadfast in your faith to keep speaking truth even when it's unpopular and uh, ultimately God blesses that I mean even our sitting here chatting today is a little bit of the fruit of of that in your own life and so we just you. we're grateful for your witness in that way well i'm grateful for y'all as well and thank you for the great work you're doing with spirit and truth and the people you're leading to christ and uh, may that simply increase yeah. and if you're listening come to the spirit and truth conference it's going to be really good <laughs> yes we love a plug the only thing I'm sad about with this conversation is that we just didn't get a, a chance to share our favorite David Watson stories. <laughs> that list is long. Yeah, no, yes, it is. We could do a whole so special episode. Just episode. Maybe another episode. Another time. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and don't forget to subscribe to the Firebrand Podcast. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts at, you may um, you may also love the Firebrand Magazine. So the... If you go to uh, firebrandmag.org. Dot com. Dot com. Excuse me. Um, that's a, a great place to get started with all things Firebrand. Amen. We've got a big read coming out this month, for, well, February, so next month when we're recording this, on by Dale Coulter yeah. of Pentecostal Theological Seminary. Dale's a brilliant guy, and um, I haven't read it yet. He just sent it to me, but I'm looking forward to reading it. He's, he always gives us such good stuff, so keep an eye out for that. Amen. Well, thank you so much, David. Thank you. All right, you guys, that's been our podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to head on over to our website for more information about the conference, spiritandtruth.life slash conference. And for more information on the Firebrand podcast, head on over to firebrandmag.com. Explore all of the great articles and resources we have there. All right, thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button.